following up on the discussion of God's wrath, and I'm calling today's word God's wrath and reconciliation and gospel. I want to read from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 where Paul speaks about the wrath of God and says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And when it says God's wrath is revealed, that word is apocalypto, which means uncovered. So it means things are brought out into the open. Is revealed means present tense. So it's speaking about something that God is doing all the time. And God's wrath is an act of love, nested in justice and truth, as well as in mercy and forgiveness. God's wrath, and the word in the Greek is orge, O-R-G-E, means an intense feeling of indignation. It is an expression of his protection of humanity against the destructive effects of sin that we commit against each other. The main causes of the pain and harm that we inflict upon one another are the corruption of justice and truth in the misuse of our power over each other and our malevolent attitudes towards one another. So God's protective indignation is dealt out through his discipline upon us individually and corporately. And this expression of God's justice goes hand in hand with God's offer of his mercy and forgiveness to all the world, which bring about these great acts of redemption and reconciliation with all of mankind. So he exercises his discipline like a loving father upon us as his children to change our character and our very nature to be like his own. That has to be proclaimed. And that is the reason for the absolute necessity of the gospel. So we have God's wrath, the reconciliation and the gospel. The Bible shows us how God has acted upon the world throughout history as a loving father to intervene when we go off track and to bring us back to himself, such as with the flood of Noah's time and with the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah in Abraham's time. These have also been times of God's gracious intervention and deliverance of those that are faithful to him. As with Moses bringing God's people out of Egypt and the time of their entering into the promised land under Joshua. But the greatest of all interventions in a time of injustice and suppression of truth was the incarnation of Jesus as the living God who came to us to give us his life and his heart of love to the Father through the Holy Spirit. We're currently living in a time of rapid escalation of the corruption of justice and truth in our world. The godly values which used to be a foundation of our society have been replaced in many cases with ideological values and virtues that compete with one another for a place of influence and political power. God is allowing many areas of injustice and suppression of truth to be uncovered and to come under his hand of discipline. And it's happening in these days. And in a widespread communal crisis like a pandemic, where people do not know what to trust 
or who to trust anymore. That uncertainty becomes a crisis of anxiety concerning the future. It also becomes a crisis of anxiety concerning a scarcity of outward things that were once expected to be on hand, but are now often not even within reach. In an environment like that, suspicion and blame and resentment is out there. And it is at times like this where God counters all of that negative activity with a gospel of hope and an abundance of grace where God is always within reach and peace can abound in our inner lives. God created us to be at one with him. That is, to be at peace with him. The word peace in the Greek language is irene, which means oneness. That's what he wants, a closeness to him. And even more than that, to be sharing in his divine nature. That's what he wants. God lived, always has, in perfect oneness and harmony as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There's always been perfect love and perfect agreement. There was no need for forgiveness there because there was no sin of selfishness from one against the other. So there was no wrath because there was no sin. And there was no temptation because perfect love cannot be tempted. It just wants to give. And that was the perfect way to live in a perfect relationship. So what happened? Why couldn't God create us as very nice people who loved one another with the same love that Father and Son and Holy Spirit have with one another? It's because only God is perfect and anyone and anything he creates is not perfect. And even the angels who are spirit beings are not perfect. And as we know, they are able to be tempted like Lucifer. He was deceived into thinking he could have what he wanted without God. And so he became proud and independent and rebelled against God. And he deceived mankind into thinking that very same way. It's obvious, really. We believe a lie about who God is and what he's like. And then we believe a lie about who we are as an independent self with a right to have certain things. And then we rebel against the authority that stops us getting those things that we want. And then we become disobedient and miss the mark of staying close to God. And then we sin. That's what sin is. And sin runs the show from there, causing harm to our own soul and to the people around us. God hates sin because it separates us from him and it destroys our soul. Isaiah 59 verse 1, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Only he can do something about that, because left to themselves, people wander off track. So what does God do? He uncovers all the disorder and corruption that is waiting to be exposed for his purpose of shaking and converting the minds and hearts of people who've resisted him. He wants to overcome that. God's love feels the grief of the hostility of his children against him, the opposition, and the pain and destruction that that hostility brings upon them. 
And that is all because our human independent mindset of a lie about what God is like robs us of the truth of his loving heart of goodness and blessing towards us. His heart is constantly seeking to subdue or overcome that hostility and soften our hearts and to make us aware of his love. How much would his love delight in there being a heart of love in the earth that loved him back as much as is humanly possible, like Jesus? So also, nested in his love is God's offer of forgiveness and mercy. We need this change of heart to get out of the sin cycle. God has forgiven sin and he does change the desire of our hearts to love him more than sin. And yet we still see the hostility of humanity against him happening in our own human hearts. It's there and rises its head from time to time. Only God can do something about that initially. We can't. We can't just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. So what did he do? He cancelled out the sin factor of humanity that separated us from him. And that allows us to be close to him and to love him back. Let's talk about reconciliation. God had to bring about reconciliation because our distrust towards God was too great an obstacle for our hearts to take the initiative to reach out to him. So if God wanted peace and oneness, only he could put away this estrangement between man and God. It had to be all his work. And he was already perfect. So he couldn't make himself become more perfect and just try harder. So what was he to do? Instead of remaining in his perfection of heavenly being, who could not be tempted, he entered into our weakness as a human being who could be tempted. He came down as Jesus. And so Father in heaven had a son in the earth who was indwelt by his spirit and who could and would love him totally on behalf of all of us. How does this change the rest of us? Because we are still human beings who still can't trust God because we never have. A simplistic way to see the heart of reconciliation is this. So you have two friends who have fallen out and they decide to try and make up and bury the hatchet. Then one of them, who has a very generous heart, says, look, I care deeply about our friendship and I want you to know that anything you might have done to offend me, I forgive you. And then he goes on to say, so are we good? And the other one replies, yes, we're good. Thank you. That is reconciliation. It is not a blame game. And that's a very simple day-to-day -day kind of expression of that. But now, this is where the miracle of God's supernatural reconciliation comes to pass. He not only changed himself into one of us, he changed us into one of him. He didn't just expect us to be able to get in there and speak with him closely and heart to heart. He had to become one of us. He had to level the playing field relationally. That's a miracle. Let's see how it happened. He died like a seed going into the ground and he rose like a plant 
springing up from the ground, a resurrected tree of life that bore fruit, which was us as a new creation humanity. We have his resurrected life sent from heaven as the Holy Spirit who joins our spirit to the spirit of God. So there we are, heart to heart. We can now have Jesus' heart of love for his Father. That is what reconciliation is, and that's what it does. The word reconciliation in the Bible is katalasso, and that means a mutual change of two things to make one new thing. It's a beautiful word. Two things change in the relationship, in reconciliation. The supernatural miracle of God's act of reconciliation for us is that he caused both himself and us to experience a change of being. God became one of us forever as the risen Christ in heaven and he's made us one with him because the Bible says we are partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through wrong desires. That's in Second Peter chapter 1. Now that's the gospel of peace, oneness, irene, being one together. And that is what Paul preached. Paul was not told to tell the world to make peace with God, but to tell the world that God had made peace with them. And that was through Jesus. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, he said, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he's given us all to tell others. They're all Paul's words. He said he was given that message, and he includes us in that, saying we're all given that message to tell others. That is the message of the gospel. Accept the forgiveness of God through Jesus and begin to walk in a new way. So it is acceptance of what God has initiated and done for us. There's some examples of Jesus demonstrating both God's wrath and his reconciliation as he walked among the people and ministered to them on the earth. There's the story of the Jewish elders who approached Jesus and brought forward a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they placed her in front of Jesus and told him that the law of Moses commanded them to stone such a woman. They asked Jesus what he had to say about that. And the wrath of God was revealed, apocalypto, uncovered upon these men as Jesus began to write in the sand, uncovering their sins before all that were there watching. Each one of the men, in turn, walked off in shame and guilt. Then Jesus turned to the woman, and the reconciliation of God was ordained upon her, as her sins were not charged to her, but forgiven. And she was told to go and not sin anymore. She was now encouraged. She was given a place in God's heart. This changed her. In a similar way, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, Jesus was sitting by a well and a Samarian woman came to draw water and Jesus asked her, 
to please draw some water for him to drink as he was thirsty. On this occasion, God's wrath was nested in his love as a most effective, tough love wake-up call about her disordered life. When Jesus said to her, you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband, that's a wake-up call. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. But Jesus did not berate her or condemn her. Jesus had just told her that he could give her more than just the water from the well, but he could give her the living water of the Holy Spirit that would spring up within her. And she had said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty anymore. So in that story, we have both the tough love wake-up call of God's wrath uncovering her moral disorder and the magnanimous bestowal of reconciliation in the promise of her being filled with the living water of the life of God. Her human weakness was her thirst for love, which she could never emotionally gratify. That's what her life proved. And now that was satisfied not only emotionally, but now spiritually by God's love flowing to her and from within her. If you begin to search, you'll find many examples of God's wrath and God's reconciliation coming forth through the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. A clear case of God's wrath is seen in Jesus overturning the money changers' tables when he went to the temple and he uncovered the corruption and injustice of the Jewish stewards by overcharging the poor people. That's what they were doing, unjustly overcharging the poor people and making a profit from the sale of the birds and animals required by law for the temple sacrifices for sin. He was expressing his father's indignation against this corrupt abuse of power over the people in this holy place of prayer. But notice how often the wrath is tempered by love and sadness. For example, here's another story. When Jesus uncovered the sin of the rich young ruler's love of money, and that was a big one, there was a great sadness as the man walked away from the offer to follow Jesus. There you have the love and the sadness in the one story. Each one makes their own decision to accept or reject there's also the beautiful example of both wrath and reconciliation in the story of the prodigal son, which is, speaks for itself. He was in trouble. He knew it. Consequences were too much for him. And he comes back and there's a beautiful ending. Now let me read this beautiful scripture from Romans where all that I've really been sharing about is encapsulated. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we are saved by his life. Now that solves the problem of God's wrath from his side. And now it's up to us to believe and to trust in that every moment of our lives. 
That is the faith that saves our soul. So we've looked at the wrath of God and we've looked at reconciliation and now we look at the gospel. Because of God's love, his wrath is a significant reality and the very reason, from God's point of view, for making the gospel so necessary and powerful. He hates the bad news of what sin does to people. So he has good news about what forgiveness and reconciliation does for people. But that is why there has to be a gospel, both for those who willfully do harm and for the poor people who get harmed. The good news is that there is forgiveness. And the further good news is that there is the gift of the life of Jesus within. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us his spirit and he gives us a new heart. People need to be told they're forgiven and that they need no longer be separated because of the feelings of guilt and shame about their sinful behaviour, which makes them hide from God and cover up in front of God and in front of each other. They need to have a new mindset. And the word in scripture for that in the Greek is metanoia, which means repentance, a new way of thinking. The new mindset acknowledges that God is not at odds with them and they no longer need to be at odds with him themselves. They are reconciled. They cannot have everything that they want, but they can receive every good thing that God wants for them. They're now able to have God's peace. They're now able to trust God. They can now know what it means to be saved and experience it. And they also need to know that God holds us to account to not neglect such a great salvation. This becomes number one in the life, a new life. And sometimes people need a wake-up call. And I believe God is giving the world a wake-up call right now. It's like the story of the prodigal son who had to have things go so bad for him that he came to his senses and said, I'll go home and return to my father. He decided to settle the score with his conscience and to return to his father before the consequences of his life brought him into complete ruin. I believe that in these days, God wants to grow his church as his loving and caring family in the earth that will find its voice to proclaim a loving and forgiving God who desires to turn the heart of the world to himself, all of his sons and daughters created in his image. I believe lost sheep will be found and prodigal sons and daughters will come home. The healing rain of the Holy Spirit will fall upon the hearts of men and women and grace will abound. People will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. They will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God. He will strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. He will do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of his life that he has placed within us. Amen.